Good morning. Very glad to have each one of you here, and a special welcome to the moms. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I'm going to read you a story this morning, a story about an outcast. This, uh, this excerpt was uh, printed in the London Weekly Magazine entitled The Speaker. It was on April 12th, 1890. It's the story of Joseph Merrick, who was known as the Elephant Man. Imagine a human soul clothed in a body so unspeakably frightful that seeing it, men turned sick with loathing and women fainted. A being who had to be conveyed from place to place in secret, who hardly dared to venture abroad, even by night, who, finding his fellow creatures run from him, grew terrified by the terror he created and shuddered in dark corners like a hunted beast. Imagine him driven by starvation to accept a showman's offer and be exhibited to the most brutal of audiences that commonly enough shrieked and ran pell-mell from the tent as soon as the curtain was drawn. <laughs> Early in 1886, Mr. Frederick Treves, one of the surgeons of the London Hospital, found Merrick in a penny show in a room off the Whitechapel Road, crouching behind an old curtain and trying to warm himself over a brick that was heated by a gas jet. Mr. Treves went up to him not only without fear or loathing, but with sympathy. For the first time in his life of 24 years, Merrick heard a kind word and was spoken to like a man. The effect was curious. It made him afraid at first. He shrank as an ordinary man would from something uncanny. And then as he began to realize the truth, he broke into sobs of gratitude. Days and even weeks passed, however, before he recovered from the shock of hearing a compassionate word. The police prohibited his show on the ground of public decency, so he went to Belgium, where again the police interfered and where an agent ran off with his money. Merrick was left destitute and starving in the streets of a foreign town, where the ignorant mob thought him a fiend. He came back to London, no one quite knows how. At every station and every landing place, crowds dogged him. Steamers refused to have him on board, but he came to London because in London lived the only man who had ever given him a kind word. He made his way to the London hospital, found Mr. Treves, who had him lodged for a time in an attic in the hospital, and determined to find a permanent shelter for him. But now it was found that no institution would receive him. The Royal Hospital for Incurables and the British Home for Incurables alike declined to take him unless sufficient funds were forthcoming to pay for his maintenance for life. He himself even begged that he might be placed in a blind hospital. It is hard to match the pathos of this plea. And then in November of 1886, Mr. Carr Coram, the chairman of the London Hospital, wrote to the London Times asking help for this case. And the British public responded. A room was built for Merrick on the ground floor in a remote wing of the hospital, and there, surrounded with books, flowers, and a hundred tokens of the kindness that is really quick in the public heart, he lived until this last week. Joseph Merrick died at the age of 27, living as a lonely and terrified outcast for almost his entire life. 
I don't know if we can really truly understand what that man went through. But uh, just a, a, a terrible, a terrible experience for him. In today's passage, we will read about what happens when Jesus encounters a similar outcast, a man suffering from leprosy. How will Jesus respond? What will Jesus do? Is there anything he can do? And what about you? Maybe you're here today and wondering what Jesus would do if he knew what you were suffering from. How will he respond to you? Can he do anything about the pain and brokenness in your life? And more importantly, does he even want to? Or maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you're wondering how to deepen your relationship with him, how to be more like your king. Today's sermon is for all of you. If you brought a Bible, I'd ask you to turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 29. You're also welcome to use one of the white Bibles on the table. We'll be reading on page 488, if you would like to follow along. 488 uh, in the Bibles on the table. If you do not own your own Bible, you may take one of those. It's our gift to you. The verses we're going to read will also be on the screen behind me. So we're going to start at verse 29 of Mark chapter 1. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So just to give you a little bit of a backstory here, Jesus had already been traveling some, and he was beginning to call his disciples. He started with Simon and Andrew, who were fishermen, and he called them to follow him. And a little bit later, he came across the uh, fishing business of the, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, and the Zebedee was the father, and he had two sons, James and John, and Jesus called James and John to follow him as well. So they were uh, traveling around, and at some point, they go to Simon Peter's house. Now, um, uh, Simon Peter obviously lived there, and his wife, since Simon Peter had a mother-in-law. Uh, Andrew, his brother, also lived there, and the mother-in-law lived there, and that was fairly common in that time. You would have had multiple generations living in the same home. So, presumably, it was a, a, a decent-sized house. As they come to this home, uh, it's discovered that Simon Peter's mother-in-law has this fever doesn't really say what it was, and perhaps they didn't know at that time, just that she was very sick with this fever. And they had, the disciples had just witnessed Jesus that day, because that day was the Sabbath. They had been in the synagogue. Jesus had been teaching, and he was confronted by a demon-possessed man. He commanded those demons, and they obeyed. They did exactly what Jesus called them to do. So, they turned to Jesus, and they said, Hey, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, she's sick with a fever. Is there something you can do? Now, it's also important for us to understand that in first century Israel, as it was in many lands, uh, women didn't have many real rights, if any at all. Oftentimes, they were treated as property. Now, that's not to say they weren't cared for, but it certainly wasn't like it was today. And there was perhaps a thought in the back of the minds of the disciples, you know, Jesus is a great rabbi, he's a teacher, they hadn't perhaps come to fully understand who he was yet, but would he want to be even bothered with the, the issues, the difficulties of this woman? <laughs> and yet we see such a different response from Jesus. He goes to her immediately, he gently takes her by the hand, and he lifts her up, and as he does so, her fever leaves her, and she's healed. 
Throughout the Gospels, what we commonly see is that Jesus responds so counterculturally towards women. He treats them gently, compassionately, with dignity. Uh, very different from what the rest of the culture and society would have done. Jesus demonstrates not only compassion to comfort her pain, but the power to confront her problem as well. Let's continue reading. In verse 32 it says, That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. <laughs> So here we have the evening, still in Simon Peter's house, and now the whole city has assembled outside the door. You have to understand, it was the Sabbath, and so on the Sabbath, that was a rest day, even to travel was considered work. So they waited until sundown, till the Sabbath was over, and that's why it says at evening they gathered, and it says the whole town was there. So the news had traveled that Simon Peter's mother had been healed, or perhaps they had also witnessed the casting out of the, the demon uh, in the synagogue. Man, they were saying, this guy, this guy can do something. So they brought their friends, their relatives who were sick, who were lame or crippled, who were demon-possessed. They brought them to Simon Peter's house to see if Jesus would do something about it. Perhaps they were considering all the Old Testament prophecies that they would have been very familiar with about the Messiah, that the Messiah was healer. He would come, and that's how he would be known. He would heal the sick and the lame and the blind and the deaf. There was something here that drew them. <laughs> I want you to notice Jesus' selflessness. He's had, he's had a busy day. They walked to the synagogue. He taught in the synagogue. He confronted the demon-possessed man there, walked back to Simon Peter's house. I have no idea what the distance was. And then arriving there, finds that Simon Peter's mother is sick and heals her. And it's now the end of the day, maybe a time when you would like to just relax a bit, you know, recoup your energy. And yet, he goes to the door, and there are all those people gathered. He has power to confront their problems and compassion to comfort their pain. He could have, being the Son of God, he could have stood at the door and said, you know, poof, you're healed and be done with it. And they could all go on their way and he could go back and sit down. I don't get the sense that he did that at all. I know it doesn't say so and I want to be very careful about reading things into the, into the passage. But I get the sense that he went to each one. I get the sense that they spoke to him and maybe they said, you know, this is my son and, and he's been crippled from birth. Is there anything you can do? I can imagine Jesus reaching down and touching that boy and healing him. Or this person was blinded in an accident. Is there anything you can do? And so on and so on. And each person, individually, that he reached out to them, that he demonstrated that compassion for them and his power to take care of the issue. <laughs> and then it says that he went the next morning, very early, while it was still dark, 
and he prays, and he spends time alone. He did not stand on a street corner where everybody could see him. He goes to a secluded place. In fact, it was so secluded that it took the disciples a while to find him. They went and searched him. When they finally found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. I wonder, too, if they were thinking, hey, this could possibly be the Messiah. This is going to be great. Because their view of Messiah was he was going to come and he was going to rescue them from the oppression of Rome. Because it was pretty rough in Israel. Rome was occupying their, their nation. And uh, they were abused by the taxes. And they were arrested sometimes without cause. And, and oftentimes people were crucified. And it was difficult to live in that time. And they were looking for someone to rescue them from all of that. And I wonder, I wonder if the disciples were thinking, we have to capitalize on this publicity. The whole town knows about you, man. We've got to ride this one for all it's worth. And what does Jesus say? He says, let's go to the next towns and preach there. I think that that would have been counter to what the disciples would have been thinking. I want you to imagine for a moment if Jesus were a celebrity or political leader in 2017. We just, in the last several months, watched the, the uh, political process in the States. If Jesus was that kind of a figure here today, perhaps he would have had an assistant, uh, a campaign manager, an agent, someone to put the right spin on each event and to assess the value of each event. They would have advised him on what to say or not to say, what to do or not do, what to get involved with and what to stay away from in order to maximize the publicity from each of those events. So if we took that back to first century Israel, maybe that agent would have been okay with the healings in Simonstown. You know, it's, it's good for publicity. It shows that caring human side to you, Jesus. But to then go into hiding, to pray, and, and now... You're not going to go back there and ride that. You're going to instead go to another town. You've got to remember, Jesus, there's no TV. There's no internet. There's no Twitter or Instagram. How do we get that news out? You move to a new town, nobody's going to know you. You've got to start all over again. We should be riding this wave so that we can gain in the popularity polls. Can't you just hear it? That would be the kind of way it would play out. But that's not what Jesus is here for. And we really see that clearly in the next passage. Take a look at verse 40. Mark chapter 1, verse 40, and it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. <laughs> so Jesus has been traveling through the whole Galilean district. Uh, he's been preaching in the synagogues, and he's been casting out demons. That's what the, the passage just before that uh, indicates. And now, perhaps they're traveling along the road, and in the distance, he sees a man approaching. And as that man gets a little bit closer, we realize that it's a leper. Now, leprosy uh, was a name that was given to a variety of different skin diseases, but it might very well have been Hansen's disease. Um, Hansen's disease is a bacterial infection that affects the nerves and results um, in loss of fingers and toes. You literally can't feel, so you literally wear your fingers and toes off. 
um, and there are so open sores, uh, eventually it results in blindness because your body doesn't even detect the fact that your eyes are dry and that you need to blink and that kind of thing. It's a terrible disease and those affected with it were often isolated from their families. The moment it was detected that they had leprosy, especially in Israel, they were declared unclean. And so you literally had to walk every single day wherever you were going and if anybody was in any kind of a, you know, remote closeness to you, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean. You had to warn them that you were unclean, that you had this disease. They were isolated from their families and society in general. Sometimes they lived in leper colonies, perhaps begging to support themselves, longing for the touch of a loved one. <laughs> I think of Joseph Merrick that we read about right at the beginning. And now this man is standing on the road, drops to his knees before Jesus, and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What does it mean for Jesus? What is Jesus going to do? You see, from the disciples' perspective, he's this great rabbi. If he touches this man, he runs the risk of contracting the same disease. Even to be seen in the proximity of this man casts a shadow on his popularity. It, it runs the risk of him being seen as unclean, and now nobody will want to listen to him. Nobody will want to be with him. We've got a terrible situation, and the leper drops to his knees and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There was no question in this man's mind as to whether Jesus could heal him, only whether he would heal him. How will Jesus respond? What will he do? Maybe you're here, and you're wondering kind of the same thing. Maybe things are a mess for you because the mess has been created by your choices. Perhaps by broken relationships. Perhaps by your decision to do things your own way. And it's brought you to a point where you really don't know where to turn anymore at all. I hate kind of saying this because... Well, it reminds me of my dad, I suppose, but um, I'm at a point now where I can look back a bit and I can see that as a young man, I had all the answers. Before I had children, I was the perfect parent. Um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and as I grow older, I realize <laughs> consistently how much more I still have to learn and how many times I just fall short, fall short as as a dad, fall short as a husband, fall short as an employee. There's so many things that I once thought I had a handle on. <laughs> My thought then was, I've got this. And as I grow older, I realize I don't. I don't. I'm learning, but I don't have it yet. I don't know that I ever will. But that's just the reality for all of us. We all fall short. And when it comes to God's expectations, God's standard, we all fall short there too. Maybe you came here this morning saying, I think that this place might have some answers. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe you came for a totally different reason. But I'd like to take a look at how Jesus responds to this man. Take a look at verse 41. Uh, and I like the way that the New American Standard Version puts it. It says in the New American Standard, moved with compassion 
I love that. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is moved with compassion. He reaches out his hand and he touches this man. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus could have spoke healing, but he didn't. I want to take a look at that word compassion because it's a beautiful word. The root of the word is passio. It's a Latin word which means to suffer. I didn't realize that. As in the passion of the Christ, the suffering of the Christ. But you put the prefix calm on it, which means together or with, like we have cooperation. Uh, it means together. And now all of a sudden it means to suffer together with someone. But there's more to it than that. It's not just that you feel another's pain and move on, but rather you are compelled to act to ease that pain. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. You feel their pain as if it were your own. And just like you would act to ease your own pain, you have to act to ease theirs. Jesus models beautifully for us what it looks like to treat our fellow man with compassion, to love our neighbor as ourselves, as God told us to, as God instructed us in Leviticus chapter 19. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, then this is what God wants from you. He's calling you to this. He expects us to show compassion to our fellow man, to our neighbors, to the people that we work with, to hurt with them, and to do what we can to ease that hurt. It means that you desire to have a heart like God's. If you want to be a man or woman after God's own heart, like King David was, then this is how you do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm not just talking about your physical neighbor. Those of you that have spent more time reading the Word of God know that story where the man asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? It's the people that we rub shoulders with, the people we bump into in our lives. It's those people, those that are in your sphere of influence. Love them, comfort them, meet their needs. That's how you will find yourself drawing closer as your heart lines up with God's heart. One of our core values here at Fellowship Oshawa, we have five there right over here on the, uh, on the screen. It says, uh, the Bible is one of them, risk-taking faith, selfless hospitality is one of our core values. And this would be a way that we could show the compassion of Jesus to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says the following, that there will be a day in heaven where he will say, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him and they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, 
the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus says that when we do those things, when we act in kindness towards someone in need, it's as if we did that very thing for him. When you see someone that's homeless and hungry and you help them, it is a, it is a gift, it is an act of worship towards God. In the Jewish religion, um, if you touched something that was unclean, you became unclean. In fact, there was a whole process for now becoming ritually clean again. There were sacrifices that had to be given. There was a period of time of waiting. There were things you could not do because you had now been made unclean by touching that unclean thing. But I want you to notice how fearlessly Jesus moves forward to touch this leper. That's his authority. Jesus knows the leprosy can't affect him. It has no power over him. In fact, he has power over it. He's the one who created bacteria in the first place. When Jesus touches the unclean, they are made clean. (laughs) Our sin brought the curse that resulted in death and decay, and leprosy is certainly a part of that. But Jesus, the Son of God, is the life. Death has no power over him. He could, however, have simply spoken that healing to that man, but he knew the heart of this man. Then he needed a human touch, something to ease the pain in his broken heart. Who knows how long he was there? Who knows whether he was a father, a husband? Because of his sickness, he would have had to leave them. He was, in a sense, banished. Jesus had the power to confront this man's problem, but he also had the compassion to reach in and comfort his pain. And he can do the same for you, ladies and gentlemen. You see, we all have a problem to which this story speaks. In the Bible, leprosy is often a picture of sin. And sin separates us and isolates us from God, and oftentimes from human relationships as well. It leads to brokenness in our relationships. Sin hardens our hearts. And like lepers, we end up losing the ability to feel. But Jesus saw us in our sin and despair and moved with compassion. He came to earth to do something about our pitiful state of affairs. He and only he had the power to take our place on the cross of Calvary and to die in our stead. He shed his blood to redeem us from our sins, to pay the penalty that was ours to pay. He and only he had power over sin, death, and the grave. He rose again that third day. And because of his compassion and his power to save, we can be healed and restored to a relationship with God. Like the healed leper who is now able to go home to his family that day, we too can go home to a restored relationship with God when we accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't put it off. Come and meet him today and make him yours. (laughs) Remember, just like the leper, Jesus is willing to make you clean. Just because we become children of God doesn't mean it's all roses and moonlight from there. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. 
We should expect difficulties and trials. The world hated Jesus and nailed him to a cross. If we are going to behave in such a way that reflects him, why would we be surprised if the response toward us is less than positive? But Jesus follows that statement with this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. At one point in my teaching career, I had a principal who made things very difficult for me because I refused to modify some students' marks on report cards. She knew I was a Christian and she especially didn't like that. Uh, I tried to find a job at another school. I prayed about my interviews and my cover letters and the rest, but nothing seemed to work. <laughs> at one point, uh, I found out that she had been bad-mouthing me in the reference process. So there was going to be no change. I was going to be there and there for a while. And so I just resigned myself to being where I was and trying to learn whatever it was that Jesus was trying to teach me through this whole thing. And it was a long seven years. Sometime later, my wife was at the school for parent-teacher interviews and another parent, a mom, found out her last name was Vance Lott. Are you any relation to Mr. Vance Lott, the teacher here at McLaughlin? Uh, yes. No. Uh, yes, she replied, that's my husband. Sometimes that could be a good thing, sometimes not so much. This lady went on to say that she and other moms had been praying for the school and for their children there and expressing their thankfulness to God that I was willing to be the staff advisor for the Christian Fellowship at McLaughlin and a witness at the high school. <laughs> In the years following, we learned that several young people came to know Jesus as their own Savior through that little lunchtime gathering. Whatever your problem is, Jesus has the power to confront it. He may not respond the way that you want him to, or in your timing. He may have a totally different plan than you, but if you bring your problems to him, he has the ability to deal with them. And at the same time, he has the compassion to comfort you in your pain. He promises that you will not face whatever you're facing alone. He promises Instead, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to do things just a little bit differently and wrap up this morning. On the tables in front of you, you will find little index cards, a white index card. I ask you to take one of those. Um, and that's going to be part of your response to the message this morning. It's going to be very individual and very personal. If you are a follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask you this. Who comes to mind right away when you think about showing Christ-like compassion to someone in need? How could you step in and meet that need? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I'd ask you to write down that name or those names and the needs and determine to do something this week or maybe even today for those people. And if you as a believer, have a hurt or a need, write that down too and ask him to deal with that need while willingly submitting to his timing and his methods. If you're here this morning and, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then I'd ask you to take a moment to think about why you haven't come to Jesus. Are you afraid that he will reject you? Are you concerned that he can't handle what you're dealing with? He is both compassionate and able. In fact, he's already taken care of our biggest problem, our rebellion and its offense against God. And he did so when we were still enemies. 
Write down whatever that need is, that hurt that you have, that thing that you know needs Jesus' compassion and power to deal with. And then I'd invite you to come to him today. Talk to me or talk to Jared or maybe one of the Fellowship Oshawa members at your table. It would give us great joy to pray with you about that uh, if you're willing to share it with us and to lead you to the Savior if you're interested in doing that this morning. Just take a few moments to quietly think about that, to jot something down on that card, and then in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and play one last song.